0: Welcome to the ITSP Magazine Podcast Network. You're listening to a new episode of the CyBeat Podcast, where your host, award-winning author and cybercrime journalist, Deb Radcliffe, interviews hackers, coders, intelligence experts, agents, officers, cybersecurity pros, and other interesting harbingers, heroes, and warriors. These conversations are sure to get you thinking. Knowledge is power, now more than ever.
1: Hello, I'm Deb Radcliffe, host of CyBeat, part of ITSP Magazine at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. With us today is Renee Gutman, an early days CISO back when, when there were none, who's worked with the, in the CIS role, roles at big brands including AOL Time Warmer, Coca-Cola, and Caribbean Cruise Lines. Today, she's offering her services as a consulting CISO and also advising VCs on cybersecurity investments. Welcome, Renee.
2: Hey there, glad to be here. Nice to see you and everybody else who's listening.
1: You and I go way back in the industry, but you've worked in it longer than I have. Can you tell us how far back you go and how you quite literally, in my mind, shaped the role of the CISO?
2: Um, yeah, glad to. Now I want to, I want to share a little bit of a personal story. I actually became, I fell into security because I was doing email administration and my company went through a merger and I frankly lost my position. So I walked across the door, a hallway, and I opened the door to the security team and I said, you got any jobs here? And they said, yep, come on in. And I've never looked back. And that was 30 years ago. And I will tell you that back in the day, we called it data security, I don't think we even thought of it as IT security, I don't remember what we called it, but we weren't really thinking big picture then. So that was at Glaxo Welcome. I then went, I was one of the very first analysts at Gartner uh, in uh, 1998, I'll give the year. And actually the first CISO was Steve Katz, and that was 94. So just about the time that the role was becoming, you know, a C-level role. Uh, I then went on to build the infrastructure for Capital One, put their financials on the internet. Uh, who can recall the day that you weren't even, you know, you weren't even able to get to your financials? Then I went on to Time and Time Warner, um, and then to your point, Royal Caribbean, where I was doing maritime cybersecurity, which is quite fascinating. And then Campbell Soup, most recently, where I was really working on their manufacturing. And I will tell you that when I was thinking about this, Deb, I remember sitting around at NIST uh, in 94 or something like that with a couple of people uh, wondering about whether, you know, something like a NIST standard would, you know, A, whether security would ever matter and B, whether something like a NIST standard would ever come about. So I feel very fortunate to have been in the early days and help, you know, build this industry.
1: Excellent. When you were talking to me once about maritime sea, uh, you know, security, you brought up a couple of interesting points that a cruise line may not have thought of back then for areas of risk. I recall you talking about the onboard internet of a ship once. Uh, could you explain some of the risks
2: there? Well, yes. So, so the thing, there are things that the passengers see Um, you know, the, the entertainment, the, the, the cards, you know, that you use to get in everywhere. And then there's things that really, you know, basically make the ship uh, sail. And those things include the satellite systems, uh, the, the propulsion. We even had a, um, uh, robotic bartender.
1: Wow.
2: One of our ships And the people that built it were in Italy, when they had to do maintenance, they would log in and they would log in to this robotic bar, you know, from Italy. So not only is it, you know, sailing out there, but it's still connected and satellite is a big deal. And and then here's the challenge as a CISO or, or as a security practitioner in that environment. When you have to patch you're literally consuming bandwidth from that satellite. And and there's a real tension, right? Between how good the satellite is, you know for the paying passengers versus how much do you really need to be able to push a patch, you know, over those same wires. So it just makes you think a little bit differently uh, about disconnected. And and frankly, there's a lot of on-prem systems on a ship. We tend to think of the cloud now but but ships still have a lot of on-premise systems.
1: Interesting. So given all your experience at all these blockbuster companies that you've worked at, and now you're doing VCISO work, which is a virtual CISO, you're doing advising to investment firms. Can you sort of explain to us what your focus areas are now and what is important to you as a person with all of this experience and knowledge to share with the industry?
2: so i was really lucky uh over the course of my career in terms of building and working for big companies um and so i i think i had a perspective that you could just have a security program and you could hire people and you could um just get things done and so now that i've left these big companies and i'm working more with companies that are smaller and 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 nonprofits even you know in For that matter, you know, you realize that we really have a lot of people that that aren't staff that don't have the funding that I enjoyed at some of these bigger companies. So my passion now, I have a couple, but one of them is I did start a little company and I consult under that company to some other companies. um, But those companies have to be invested in helping you know, uh, community type, you know, the smaller tech companies, community colleges and things of that nature. So they have, they, they at least have to be able to consult to the smaller companies um, for me to want to work with them. Number two, I am working with uh, venture capitalists and I am working with some early startups. And I am really excited about the level of innovation that I'm seeing these days. Um, You'd think that we just couldn't possibly need another security product. And I would tell you that's not true. In fact, what we need now, I think, is a lot more automation and innovation. And um, so it's. I'm really excited about the work that I'm doing um, with the companies that I'm working with.
1: Well, as a disruptive analyst looking for new ways to do security, I will be following this part of your career very closely. Um, one of the areas you're focusing on is what you're calling the security poverty line. By that, you mean small businesses and medium businesses aren't getting the benefit of security tools and talent that the blockbuster companies do, such as those you've worked for in the past. Can you explain that better than
2: I just did? You know, I'm gonna try, because um, you did a nice job. But it is a term of art and people can look it up, mm-hmm. you know, the security poverty line and it's either been around you know 12 years or 10 years but it, it is attributable to a lady by the name of wendy Nether, who spoke about the security have and have nots and, and again this was about 10 years ago and really it was based around the idea that you know security can only be funded to the level that the company had money you know to be able to fund the program and so it creates, again, the situation where you have the big companies, the financial institutions who can really afford and build the big teams, you know, and, and um, you know, get ahead, at least try to get ahead of security risk. But then you have the smaller companies that may not even have anybody, uh, first, probably not with a CISO title, they might have a director of of network or something that that might have security as their side job. And and they just don't have the same um, you know, ability, to, I think, to be able to to even put in, and this is the key part, some of what what's called essential cybersecurity. So if you think about things like multi-factor or if you think about endpoint monitoring, they may not even be able to afford to do that. Or they may not be able to maintain it, or they may not be able to, um, you know, implement it correctly. So there's, it's, it's a problem, and and that's that's where I spend a lot of time when I think about the consulting work and who I want to consult with, you know, looking at how we can help those uh, organizations um, because it's municipal governments. I mean, if you think about it, you know, if a municipal government um, is attacked, I mean, is your nine one one going to work? so it's that's a big problem and i and there's a lot being written about that now so it's it's a it's a it's a um it's something that people are really starting to think about and i've spoken about it a number of times other people are speaking and writing about it. it was actually the topic at rsa this year and they and i don't know if they called it a humanitarian crisis but it's a problem
1: it is it's been a problem my entire career as a journalist covering this space everything's relative though smbs may not need the same types of protection as a larger counterpart, but they need more than they have in place now what do you see as the biggest inhibitors to these sizes of organizations actually getting the security and compliance posture that they require
2: well i, I think there are a couple of things number one is awareness and i and i think that some people are, aren't aware so for example uh, if you're in a community college, there's a very good chance that you have cameras and you have other interconnected systems, right? So partially it's thinking about not just your um, your compute that you you can see like your PCs, but everything else is connected. And I think once you do that, you start to think, okay, maybe I might have a problem here. So the first I think is becoming more aware of what the risks are. Uh, number two, I think they don't have access to the same advice. And, and what I mean by that is that the companies that I'm consulting with right now, and including the f- the folks that are um, acting virtual CISOs, um, are the ones that, that most likely are consulting to these smaller organizations. They just can't afford the $500 an hour, and they likely won't pay for $500 an hour type of consultants. But at the same time, you know, there probably aren't enough consultants to go around and, and there may not even be enough people with expertise, you know, to really get out there and, and um, you know, to consult to these organizations. So I think a second problem is just access to people that can help them. And then the third, I think, is just, you know, once they know, they know and they just have to start being more accountable. And I think that's, you know, something that I would like to see. Unfortunately, I, I, I um how do I say it? I'm not, I'm not a big heavy handed person, but I do think that this this could require some level of oversight from our governments, especially in critical infrastructure and, and environments that can really impact the safety of, of, you know, the communities. And I think that they there should be a little bit more oversight. You know, like I said, municipalities fall into this boat and and I would hate to see our 911 or our water you know things that we rely on go out because they they're not take they're not being taken care of properly that
1: makes good sense is this everybody's
2: problem for example
1: If I'm a large business, I have a bunch of SMBs supporting my business. Is this an issue where that large businesses should also be assisting some of their business partners? Would that be an impact area that can be tended to? Or where do you see the impact of this falling in the overall structure of who has security and who doesn't?
2: So I I do think because of what I said, it is everybody's problem. I mean, you think about municipal governments. I mean, companies rely on police services just the way you know local citizens do. Yeah. Um, and then the second thing that I think has um, become a problem is what I call um, supply chain disruption. And if you think about the way, ma- example, manufacturing, everybody went to just in time, right? So here you are happily manufacturing something, but what if your container company you know, got ransomware and they can't deliver you containers. What are you going to do with the product that you just produced? I mean, you don't have a container. Yeah. And so, you know, and those are the companies that big companies, you know, rely on, um, you know, to, to basically help them to deliver their product and services. And so I do think it's everybody's problem. The problem, though, is that I don't think big companies are necessarily best able to then support they're smaller companies in fact i have a bit of a beef here because i do think um you know third party reviews which a lot of companies do do in fact penalizes small companies and you basically say well you don't have a good program here and we don't want you to be a vendor at the same time you know if that if that small company turns around says hey can you help me can your team help me the answer is probably no i'm understaffed anyway and I and then you say, well, let me introduce you to somebody, and that goes back to the, the problem that I talked about earlier. There, you know, I've just recently become aware of much more services that are out there for smaller companies um, to leverage, which, frankly, now I, I know about, but back in the day, I didn't. I didn't know who to refer people to.
1: Wow. Okay. You know, this problem's been around so long; it seems like it would be solvable. But uh, you know, I watched Symantec. Uh, start with the small companies and then scale up to be a client uh, company that serve big companies. I've watched other vendors that start with big companies try to scale down to support smaller businesses, but I've never really seen this issue resolved in the whole 30 years I've been reporting on cybersecurity in a satisfactory way that can be replicated.
2: I, you know, I, so, so I want to end... Um, I want to leave you at least with a positive thought and that but, is I didn't realize how much is being done. And so I actually am much more positive and excited about what I see happening and I see goodness. And when I think about how I see goodness now, let me give you some examples of the goodness that I'm seeing. Firstly, there's a lot of podcasts. So if you need to learn, you don't necessarily need to spend 3000 on a conference. You can, you know, you can really uh, your teams can learn. Secondly, there is a lot of freemium products out there now, and I didn't realize how many there are, but there are more coming. And so the cost, I think, um, it can be more manageable. You know, if if you know where to look, and and then secondly, I do um, see a lot more people in the VC. So I see a lot more uh, companies that have really made it their mission, and I'm not going to name them, but they are they are mission. Uh, missioned around. I don't know that that's a word, but they, but they have a purpose and a company mm-hmm. culture of serving, you know, the small, medium businesses, financial institutions, you know, have, have sessions and services for their private clients as well. So I think there's a lot more being done. The government's doing some good things, you know, through publishing some of the papers that they have. And then where I get really excited is that, i think innovation is stepping up and where we need to really support it is we need to really start to embrace things like ai and machine learning and things that will really cut down on on the 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 mundane residual people sucking (laughs) (laughs) you know that that especially those that take place in the middle of the night you know those And so I I think there's a lot of things that will actually help to to make a difference across our communities.
1: Excellent, and technology is good at replacing repeatable tasks and things like that. So I see your point. Um, So you actually already asked my my, my last question about pushing this poverty line so that SMBs can establish basic security and compliance controls for their needs. Do you have any resources that you've researched lately that we could direct them to in this podcast?
2: Well, there is a CISA um document. I, I don't know if I would name it as a resource. I think it's a place to start. Are there resources, you know, without naming specific companies, here's what I think. Um, let me give you a different thought. Um and I'm seeing this and and again um I'm seeing and I and I don't think there's a specific resource, but I think there's a real push for what I'm going to call the basics. So that's and and I know they're being built, so they're not there yet. But people are talking about what is the pattern? What is that minimum that should be out there? And it's things like endpoint. It's things like basic awareness training. It's it's making sure that you have an incident response plan. MFA. I already talked about that. I have a, I have a short list, but I've seen a list, and it's probably no more than 10 or 12. And the other thing, and I was looking at it just a little while ago, security as a service. So I'm starting to see that being offered by um, different organizations. And again, I don't want to name anybody, but I think that if you were in a position you know, of being a smaller medium business, I think you know, and people can can write to me, Deb. so let me let's make sure that that we that we know how to find me on LinkedIn and then yes. I can get a little bit more specific. But there are companies that are offering these these types of services more as a bundle as a package. It doesn't mean you have to you know buy every product or they they tell you exactly what to buy, but they can offer you what I'm going to call the essentials. And I think if you can get the essentials right, that's a a good way to to lift yourself out, you know, of that that, you know, bullseye zone, right, where you just you just are probably lowest common denominator out there, you know, and and um, I, that's what gets me excited. So again, I I would say, I'm starting to see it, I'm starting to see people talk about the essentials, I'm seeing those packages being built and offered. And um, let's hope that that trend continues.
1: Excellent. Well, I'm really glad to know you, and all the years that we've known each other since we met at EWF. It was the first ever Executive Women's Forum, right?
2: It actually was, and and I looked at the um, event. I don't know that there were 25 of us. And the next year we went, and there was a hurricane. So anyway, it's been a long time, and and um, you know, I've seen women advance in our industry. I still remember when you know, you and I would go to conferences and there'd be like one or two women tell you that the lines to the women's bathroom are never, ever busy. I uh-huh. <laughs> still, I That's still the truth. Um, and then I finally, um, you know, I did forget to uh, mention that I'm doing a fair bit of mentoring these days. Oh, good. And I am, you know, excited about the people that want to come and really, you know, c- you know, carry that torch forward. So uh, everybody that's in those shoes, still uh, fighting the good fight, um, keep it up.
1: How are you doing your mentoring? Because I like to think I'm sort of in a knowledge transfer stage myself, with all the 30 years of knowledge I have, sort of trying to share it back to the community. Um, what do you consider your main venues for mentoring?
2: So. Currently I'm in a, an official program with uh, 10 other CISOs and uh, the program's called the Evolving CISO. There are, uh, there's a class every month. And, uh, and then I have two mentees. I don't know that that's the right word. They're cohorts of the program. Mm-hmm. And I have a male and a female. Um, one of them is just so smart. He works for a crypto company. And the other is a lady who is uh, runs, you know, security. She's second in command for another organization, and and they're different. And and so I find I'm learning much more from them in mm-hmm. some on some levels than I'm actually giving to them. But those those are the formats right now. Um, and then the other is just I've, I met some people at Black Hat recently that have reached out and been asking my advice and. You know, wanting to know about this or that, or just some kind of challenge, and it's not technical. You know, they're not calling me for technical advice. They're calling me because, you know, they've got to go present to the board, and you know, they're they're terrified or something like that. So it's um it's it's great to be able to do this, and like I said, I think it really is a two way street. So anybody that's thinking about uh, mentoring or coaching. Um, you really get back more than I think um, you, you, you give. So it, it's wonderful.
1: That's great uh, advice, information. And if anybody wants some more links to resources, we will be providing them around the abstract of this uh, podcast. And we'll also be providing your LinkedIn connection to the abstract of the podcast, so people can find you, Renee. It's been really fun talking to you on a professional level. Just so everybody knows, I considered Renee a very close friend. Over the years, uh, Women working with women in the industry is pretty important, and I'm really glad that I've had Renee on my side all these years. Thanks for joining us today, Renee.
2: And likewise, and thank you, Deb.
1: Bye. <laughs> Tune in for our next podcast with Bob Barton, Senior Pr- Principal Engineer at the MITRE Corporation and Chair of the Steering Committee of the Industrial Internet Consortium. Until then, thanks to our audience for listening and tune in again, and we will be talking with Bob Martin very soon.
0: We hope you enjoyed this episode of the SciBeat Podcast with Deb Radcliffe, part of the ITSP Magazine Podcast Network. If you learned something new and this conversation made you think, then share this channel and ITSPmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey.